Welcome to Connecting with Dr. Kim Swales. Relationships are probably where we spend the most time and the most energy in our lives. They can be the sources of our greatest joy, but they can also cause us the deepest pain and frustration. This podcast is about helping you connect a little bit better every day in your relationships. Welcome to episode 16 of Connecting with Dr. Kim Swales. Today is part two of my conversation with Danielle Leach. Uh, Last week, if you listened, we talked about many things in the college admission process, where to begin the conversation, finances, generating and brainstorming a good college list with your children. And today we're going to continue the conversation. Danielle Leach earned her master's in higher education administration from Vanderbilt University. She has supported students with the college application process as both a high school counselor and through her experience in the Office of Undergraduate Admissions at Vanderbilt. Currently, she's an assistant director of college counseling at an independent school in her hometown, Jacksonville, Florida, and she works with a few students each year from across the country as an independent college counselor. Listen as we pick up where we left off last week. One of the things that I see a lot in my practice and I hear from parents is that there's this just pressure. You know, our kids are so pressured now. There's so much anxiety about college. And I really think that a lot of that comes from parent fear, to be honest. We're so afraid our kids won't get a job. You know, the economy, um, especially now with COVID, I think that complicates people. And so I guess what I want to ask you is, how should parents balance encouraging their kids to think about college and to make choices that will help them be a well-rounded applicant, but not put that pressure on them to create anxiety, because that's something as a parent and as a practitioner that, you know, I feel like is such a burden for kids these days. And it's really coming from the parents. Yes, um, definitely. I see a lot of students feeling like they have to do so much, um, because their parents are sort of pressuring them into these different activities. Um, It is tough because sometimes a student will say, I really want early on, they know that they want to apply to some of those most competitive schools to where as soon as they look at that GPA and transcripts, they go on to your extracurricular activities um, list and your resume and they want to see what did you do when you weren't in the classroom and you weren't doing homework or labs or things like that? Like, how did you spend your time is so important. And that looks different for everyone. Um, But I think allowing, encouraging students to do something purposeful with their time, but allowing them to decide what that is. Um, So for some students, they will innately play year-round sports and compete in multiple championships. They might do club sports, varsity sports. They are a sports-driven individual, and that can take up 20, 25 hours a week, and they don't have much else time, and that's okay. Um, Other students, they're not so driven by sports, but they're really into community service. And so they're spending a ton of time each week volunteering different places. Other students, 
you were mentioning earlier about the medical school or the high school that's geared towards students who want to work in the health professions. And so I've had students who end up doing like volunteering at a hospital or they end up doing medical research um, because they found somebody and emailed them and asked. And so the student letting them fill those things on their own um, and not letting the parents orchestrate it, I think is really important um, to encourage them to use their time, not at the sacrifice of grades, right? Um, because having strong grades is going to be the most important piece first, but then finding your interest and letting them go with it. Um, another thing I hear a lot from parents is like, well, my student needs to do more community service hours or they have to play a sport be, or they have to do something else because we want them to be well-rounded. Um, and some students are innately well-rounded and they do all of these different things and that's awesome. But some students also like develop a specialty and an interest pretty early on and they go deep into that matter. And that's okay too. And that's helpful in a review sometimes. It's really, um, it's really fun to see a student who, I have a student who's really interested in computer science and he's just like on his own emailed professors about, can I do a remote internship to learn what you're doing? Because I think it's really cool. And I read something about what you're doing. And he's figured out apps and games that he can design. And that's just what he does in his spare time. Um, and that's, it makes him a great match for a lot of different schools, um, particularly when they're reviewing, oh, you're applying for computer science. You have all of this experience. You know, this is what you want to do type of thing. No, that's, I'm so glad I asked that question. I'm so glad you said that because I think that's true. And that's what I see. I see so many parents thinking, well, they have to play a sport for four years because I read that if you play a sport for four years, you're more likely to get into school or they have to have a leadership position. You know, they have to be an officer in a club. And, you know, I've even seen with my three children, I, I have one who was involved in a little bit of everything. He did swim team and water polo, president of, you know, the retreat committee. He was, he did the service, he did the sports. He, um, he just, but that was him. It wasn't me. He wanted to have a finger in everything and he loved every second of high school. My second one was very athletic, but by the time he got to high school, he's small. He, he was, he, athletics was not a good fit at his high school, but he was the one that started businesses mm -hmm. and, you know, he didn't have a ton of extracurriculars. He had very high grades, very high test scores. And then he had that niche and he was just as attractive to schools, different schools, because he put all that. And then, you know, we were looking at my daughter, she's done very little volunteer work because she dances seven days a week. Mm -hmm. Um, but she dances seven days a week and she's passionate about that. And so I think you're right. And letting them be who they are, because if it's, it's like that essay, like we talked about a few minutes, if it's their authentic self, that will be far more attractive to a school than this kind of fabricated mm -hmm. persona that you think will fit the school. And, and you're right. If it's a good fit, they're going to like that kid who you talked about, who was really into computer science more than the kid who lettered in a sport for four years, you know, because that's, you're looking for that fit. So yeah, I think it's hard for parents to relax into that and trust that process. I think when you've been through it, it's a lot easier to trust 
mm-hmm. you know, with subsequent kids. But yeah, because I think we all have this idea, they've got to be so well-rounded, but really they just have to be explore their passions, right? Yes. And I think it really comes down to like, what are you doing with your time? And like you were saying, um, your daughter dances seven days a week. That's a huge time commitment. So she Mm -hmm. might not have as many activities per se as somebody else, but she spent a lot of time on the things that she has, whereas other students are able to do these clubs and organizations that meet maybe one, two, three hours a month. Um, We're able to have a lot more. Um, So it's really, I think that's one thing parents are often looking for that magic formula, if you will, of here's exactly what my student needs to do or this niche sport or they need to start their own business. And that's going to be the key. Uh, But if that's not who your child is, then no, they don't need to start their own business. Um, But letting them find what it is that matters to them and then encouraging them to spend their time in that area. Yeah. And that's not just true for the college admission process. That's also true for just having a better relationship with your child, you know, is just following their interests and supporting their interests. And I, I don't know why it's a struggle, but it's really a struggle for a lot of the parents out there that I see. Um, But I do want to talk a little bit about visits because this is my sister and I know she'll listen to this. um, My sister has a junior in call in high school right now. Right. So we're talking about, and it's her first and it's her only son, um, her only child. And so they're just starting the navigation process. And we had a conversation a few weeks ago about visits because of COVID, right? They can't visit and they're in the Philadelphia area. And so there's tons of colleges. See where we are, like you have to travel. Like most of our visits were flying because Texas is a gigantic state. So you, if you're visiting anywhere out of state, you pretty much have to fly. Um, and so I said, well, you know, a, a lot of the schools we didn't actually visit until after our kids were accepted because a visit might be $2,000, getting on a plane to go to Virginia, getting a rental car, getting a hotel. They can drive a lot. So, But during COVID, it's hard to visit a lot of schools. So I guess I'm, I'm, it's a very long-winded way to ask you, what are your thoughts about visiting schools? I know some people suggest waiting. Um, I know some schools track that kind of information. And then um, our college visits happening now? And like, what are your suggestions if you can't visit a college in person? Yeah. So I think it's, we'll start with like normal times, what a college visits look like, and then kind of go into the COVID times right now. Um, So one thing, some families have the means and they're able to travel and visit and go to different places. Um, What I like to encourage families to do is to like, optimize your visits if you do do that. Um, So if you're going to go to Philadelphia and then they say like, oh yes, we went to Philly and we visited UPenn. And then they, okay, what about like Swarthmore, Haverford, like Bryn Mawr, Villanova, Drexel? Like there are so many schools there. Like why did you not cover more bases while you were there just to see, you know, city versus suburban versus smaller, large, private, public. There's just so many options that if you do go to those more metropolitan areas, you can really see a lot of different types of schools, which will help a student decide 
what they do or don't like, even if it's not that particular institution, they might feel like, oh, wow, this is a really big city campus. I don't like it. I prefer the suburban a little bit more. Um, and another way I suggest doing that is added on to like existing family trips or vacations. So if you're going right. to visit family somewhere, look up what schools are in the area, even if they're maybe not ones you would have considered. But while we're here, let's take an hour of our time to go visit the school and do the campus tour or an information session just to see what's available. Um, and so I do think that's another helpful process without investing like you said it's expensive here's a couple yeah. thousand dollars to go visit this school just to see if we like it but sort of adding it on to existing vacations um, mm -hmm. and that also because a mistake i see a lot of families make is they will make these big trips um, mm -hmm. early on and they're only looking at the most selective schools mm -hmm. and the student has only fallen in love with these schools that then we sit down to talk about it and it's like they're all considered reaches. And then the student's upset, the parents are like, oh, we should have shown them different schools. Yeah. Um, and so I think that's particularly, I always say just kind of normal, normalize it like pretty early on of, oh, we're here, let's just go look at this campus or drive through, let's see what programs they have and just kind of see how the student responds and maybe you'll find a gem or maybe it just helps them realize more about themselves and what they do and don't want out of a campus. Um, during COVID, um, so mm -hmm. most schools are not open to tours right now. There are a select few who are doing these like really modified um, small tours on like individual for each family, uh, but those are certainly rare. Um, so what most schools are offering is virtual programming. So they're doing, um, which, I think it's kind of nice because it used to be to do to receive like a quality and like live information session or a tour of campus or a panel, you had to go to the campus. And mm -hmm. they've sort of shifted everything so that it's online now as well. So these resources that were once reserved for families that could afford to fly and travel to all the different campuses for these visits, now everybody can see them from home and kind of access that same information. Um, so most schools on their websites have live sessions, they have recorded sessions. I've seen some schools even do like baking classes and yoga with students. Um, oh, wow. So there's lots of depending on the student opportunities for them to find ways to engage with an institution because you did touch on for some schools that demonstrated interest piece matters. Mm -hmm. um, so they track, have you been to our website? What all did you click on? Um, mm -hmm what tours did you watch or engage in? Um, and they can see that when they're reviewing a file, whereas others don't. Um, but I do think it's a good way, um, maybe just as a family, like, oh, let's look at this tour for such and such school. Or what did you think of that one? I know they have this program you're interested in and just kind of see how students respond. That's, I, I love that advice. And we, you know, I remember, like Rice University is literally down the street from our house. And my kids didn't want to go there because it's down the street from our house. It's an amazing school, very hard to get into and beautiful campus. But it was like so easy to walk around and visit or tour that campus without that pressure. Because also I found like in order for a tour or a college visit to really be 
informational. I think you have to have something to compare it to almost. Mm -hmm. And so I love your suggestion about if you happen to be visiting Aunt Mary in Maine, go visit the college there, even if it's not on your list, because then you sort of have this um, baseline, if you will, that if you've never done a campus visit, you don't know. It's well, it's kind of like dating. You kind of sometimes don't know what you're looking for in a partner until you saw what you don't want in the Mm -hmm. last partner, right? (laughs) And so um, I think, I, and I know when my husband, I, I don't like to fly. So if it was, if the college visit in, involved a plane, my husband took him, but he took our middle son to California and they looked at Loyola Marymount and um, I made him go look at Pepperdine, which, cause I thought everybody falls in love with that school, but he immediately, he walked on campus and knew it was not for him. And then they went to um, University of San Diego and USC. Like they, they did just what you said. I think they went presence weekends, a huge, well, used to be before mm-hmm. COVID time, a huge college visit weekend um, because our school would give off um, Friday and Monday, maybe even Thursday, Friday and Monday. So you could do a really good, mm-hmm. but the same thing when they flew to Virginia, they looked at William and Mary and UVA and, you know, kind of clustered those schools together. And then what's so nice is when you're visiting four schools kind of back to back, you really get that comparative quality of like big, small um, city, not city, you know, um, football school, Greek school, religious school, you can, because you're seeing them in quick succession, you can really kind of compare and get a better feel for what you'd like. Mm -hmm, Definitely. Uh, And I think that's another, during normal times, um, not COVID times, um, visiting, like with, say you're going to visit an uncle, family member, friend, and doing those because those weekends that are like the long weekends for students are spring break, MLK weekend, President's Day weekend. Um, I used to work in admissions at Vanderbilt and those mm-hmm. information sessions, we would actually move locations because there would be 250 people that you would be giving wow. an information session to versus like a few days before on just like mm-hmm. a random January morning, I would have mm-hmm. five people. So it could be yeah. just a conversation of, okay, what are you yeah. looking at? Let's talk about that a little bit more. So I do kind of think those little one-off visits um, yeah. are helpful um, because you're able to get a little bit more of that personalized attention versus a 250 person session. And then walking around campus in these large groups, it can yeah. feel a little less personal. That's great advice. That really is. Um, It's so hard to fit it all in. I do feel really bad for the students like my nephew um, and the seniors this year who aren't being afforded those things because I think while the virtual tours are really wonderful and they're the best, the second best option, right? There's something about the feel of the campus. And I really want to do like in our next episode, much more like how to do that visit Mm -hmm. because I feel like as many as I've heard about and been on, like there's there, like you said, maybe going on an off weekend. And I think even the order, my husband has a theory we'll talk about in the next about the order of the visit determining where they pick. Okay. I'm curious, if you thought, but we'll talk about that another time because I have two more questions I want to get into you. Um, what are your thoughts? And again, I know COVID times and non-COVID times, this is different, but about the ACT and the SAT, do you recommend, um, prep courses. And again, I think we'll get more in depth in a future Mm -hmm. episode about test prep and tests, um, just using books, a private tutor. And then I've heard, again, I know we're not in that stage, but 
a lot of tests were canceled this year and, uh, you know, in certain regions gathering and like our schools this year really relying as much on that data with how everything is going? Yeah. So in general, um, I recommend that students take both an SAT or an ACT and early on in their process, somewhere towards end end of fall, beginning of winter in their junior year. Mm-hmm. Um, whether that's an official test or some students um, have the discipline to like set up a mock test environment at home, um, some test prep companies even offer like a test like conditions to offer a yep. practice test just so you can see, all right, I took the SAT, I took the ACT very close together. Um, most students, their scores are pretty comparable between the two tests, but there are students that significantly favor one over the other. So that way you can figure out which of the three buckets do I fall into and should I focus on SAT, ACT, or if I scored the same, maybe I, at that point, the student can pick which one they felt more comfortable with. Um, because some students like the ACT because you do like an hour of math and you're done versus the SAT is like math and then English and math and then English and they Mm -hmm. don't like the back and forth. Um, Mm -hmm. Once you decide a test and if you want to do prep, that's great. Um, I recommend that at that point you stick with one test um, and not consistently going back and forth between the two. Um, Mm -hmm. I find when students do that too much, it leads to like test fatigue on the student's behalf. Um, Mm. But also their scores ultimately become pretty flat. Um, And if places do super score, um, they won't super score an SAT and an ACT. So it's kind of like, why are you focusing your efforts when you can't combine them? Um, So that's sort of, and then some students have the discipline to do like an online class at their own pace Mm -hmm. or to work through a book. Other students need that one-on-one tutor to do the sessions. So I think that's really individual as to what that student and family think will be best and what's financially feasible for them. Um, In terms of COVID, so majority of schools, um, the exception being right now the Florida public schools, um, have gone test optional, meaning that students can decide whether or not they want to submit test scores um, that are applying for the class of 2025. So those seniors applying right now. Um, And test optional, many colleges have shared, like genuinely means test optional. Um, If you have scores, you are able to take an SAT or ACT and you feel like your scores are a reflection of who you are, awesome, submit them. Um, If you weren't able to take the tests, or if you feel like you weren't really, your scores aren't reflective of who you are, then don't submit them. Um, Most schools adopted these policies for this year. So they did either one, two, or three-year pilots. Um, So really affecting our current seniors, juniors, and sophomores. Mm -hmm. Um, They're not done with this admission cycle yet. So we really don't know a lot of regular decision applications are due in January. Um, so we don't really know if colleges will keep these policies or if it's something they will go back to requiring testing. Um, so if you have a younger student and you can safely take the test, 
Mm-hmm. I think that would be great um, just because we don't really know what's going to happen with these test policies. Um, and it is nice to have a test should you apply somewhere that requires it. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know that. I, I think that's good because there are a lot of students who, you know, have all these other things to offer and maybe they're not great at standardized tests. And so this might provide an opportunity for some people who, you know, that test might have held them back, that might really give them an opportunity. And yeah, in in the environment that our high school students have been in this year, you know, to add that extra pressure, and even if they had the access, I know it's not that, well, my daughter did take the PSAT, actually, she's in eighth grade, and one of the high schools here requires the PSAT. Um, I know it's a public high school, but it's a magnet program. It's an Mm -hmm. IB, an international baccalaureate program. So she has been in virtual school all year. She has not gone, but she had to go in that one day to her middle school to take the PSAT. But Saturday she's taking the, oh, I don't know what it's called, the high school placement test. Okay. for a private high school. And, but it's very limited. It's an extensive questionnaire. They're very distanced. They take their temperature, but again, they wear the mask taking the test, you know, for, I don't know how many hours, but I'm sure she's not going to do as well as she would in other circumstances. You know, that thing, those things have to affect these kids. Yeah, I've definitely seen it. Um, And so it is nice that a lot of schools for right now have moved to the test optional. Um, And students, I feel like, just had so much stress and anxiety this year that um, in Florida, there were some test dates available. And I was like, you don't need it. None of your schools are requiring it or you have a score that's strong enough for the Florida schools you're applying to. Like, don't add that level of stress um, to then taking up a weekend and doing prep because... Um, I find this whole year has just been already stressful. Let's not add another factor. Um, I do think there will be a strong movement of schools that go test optional. So I do too. Permanently. So I'm really happy about that. Um, there's this website called fairtest.org. Um, mm-hmm. that lists all of the test optional schools and their policies. Um, so pre-COVID, that's what I used for a student who, like you said, has really strong um, grades and they just feel like their testing is not reflective for who they are academically. Um, and so then we would use fair test to find test optional schools. Yeah. My daughter, we were just talking about, it. I mean, like uh, uh, obviously she's not in high school yet. So she's not taking that real SAT, but we just talked about it yesterday and she said, I just wish these weren't timed. Mm-hmm. She's so smart. She gets amazing grades, but when a test is timed like that, this anxiety just, it's not her best performance. Mm-hmm. And I know that's true for a lot of kids. I didn't see that really with my other two, but I really see that with her. And I hear that from so many of my clients. And it's a shame because they're so rich and gifted and um, they have so much to offer in so many other areas. And so I am really excited to hear you say that you know, a lot of schools might. And I was, you know, before COVID, I had heard that buzz, you mm-hmm. know, I, the office across from mine, actually, in my building um, is an educational consultant. And so I'd been hearing her say that for years that she thought things were going that direction. Um, and so I'm really, I'm really pleased because it is, it's just this, 
one dimension, you know, just like we were talking about a sport or someone who does a lot of service hours, it's really one dimension, but it was one dimension that was pretty heavily weighted. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was definitely, it could be really limiting um, for students. And it's hard because going for students and parents, obviously, I've spent a lot of time studying the test and understanding the sure. mechanics behind them. But going from a 27 to a 30 is not the same as going from a 30 to a 33. So mm. a student would see the 27 to 30 growth on an ACT and the parent would be like, great, now do that again. And it would be like, that's really hard. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, it's just really tough to then put that pressure on students of you need a score within this particular range. Um, so hopefully we see more test optional, uh, which will just be better. Boy, I hadn't thought about that, but you're right. Going from a 27 to a 30 versus a 30 to a 33 is to- is really different. And yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's another really good nugget people will get out of this. Yeah, and I think just to have those, you know, to not have those unrealistic expectations, because one of the things to that you don't always know with the first as a parent. You know, I, I'm speaking from the parent side, you're speaking from the expert <laughs> side, you know, the professional side, but you do worry, like, are they gonna get in? And you know, when you've been through <laughs> through it a couple of times, you know, there is a place for everybody. There is a place for everybody. Even I've had kids who take a year off, defer, decide, you know, they want to do community college, somebody in their family gets sick, um, and they say, I want to stay home for a year. You know, there's so many paths. There's not just one path. And for parents to be open-minded and flexible about that, I think takes a lot of pressure off the kids, a lot of pressure off the process. And I think you end up with a better result that way. Mm-hmm. Definitely. But it's this first, with that first kid is when you're the most anxious because you don't know it's all going to work out. Yes, definitely. That's something I always say. Um, I offer to students, I say like, trust the process. And Mm -hmm. sometimes there are hurtful decisions. Um, We don't get into places we really, really wanted to. um, And that just means it wasn't a good fit. Um, And that's hard because it can feel really personal Um, when really it's not, they're looking, colleges are looking at it from, okay, we're building a class of, Mm -hmm. you know, 1500 or 5,000 students. Um, whereas individuals see it as just themselves and that it sometimes it's looked at from this whole group. So I always explain to students, you know, we want to build this list with reaches, targets, and foundation schools, because we want to just have well-rounded, you're going to have your safety nets of like, I want to have options on the table. So that way it's not about like, where is that one school you got in, but where do you choose to go? Um, And if a student is not happy with their decisions, I always say like, I will work with you 100% on these transfer applications. Um, Just spend you know, a year at your institution, and then we will do those transfer applications and figure out where is your home. And I haven't had a student take me up on that, um, because they do end up kind of where they're supposed to be, um, and they find their niche and their family. And a year later, it's like, I couldn't imagine going anywhere else at this point. Oh, that's great. I'm glad you brought that in. That's really, really good. Um, So as we kind of end, what 
is one practical piece of wisdom, and maybe we've already touched on it and you can just reiterate it if that's the case, but what's one practical piece of wisdom you can offer parents as they begin to navigate the college application process with their children? Um, I think one piece that's important for parents to sort of internalize is that the outcomes of the college admissions process is not a reflection on who they are as parents. Um, I see a lot of parents sort of think their student has to do something because it's a reflection of them. Um, And really, like I said, everybody ends up where they're supposed to, and you have to trust that process, which is hard, certainly, if it's your first time going through with it. Um, But I try to really push the parents um, when I'm meeting with them to take a step back and recognize it's not a reflection of you or what your students accomplished. Um, For most of the parents, the process looks very different than when they went through it 20, 25, 30 years ago. Um, So what you might have been able to apply or get into or had friends go to a certain school, it's not the same at all. Um, And so it's, that's what I really try to hone in on parents is to trust the process. empower your student, encourage them, because ultimately the results aren't a reflection on the parent um, as much as it's just about the process and where the student finds their home. That's great advice. And that's where I think I see a lot of that. I see, you know, it's as as parents, they want to take the credit for all the good and, you know, they, and then the, if things don't work out, they feel like it's a reflection on them too. And, and it's not, it's your child's journey and it's their process. And, and I loved that you added in there that it's very different because I, I, I know here in Texas, like people will say, well, you know, I got an A&M or I got an UT. Well, you know, years ago, anybody did, but now you have to be top 7% to get auto admin to both of those schools or, or at least 10%. And so it isn't the same. And to kind of put that template on your child that, you know, um, is, is really difficult. The, 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 the game has changed dramatically. We didn't even touch on the college admission scandal. Um, but, you know, that's just an indication of how different it is mm-hmm. than when most of us were applying to college. You know, um, I, I tease my kids. I'm like, you know, I had to like write to the schools to get an application <laughs> booklet, fill it out with pen and paper, put a check in, mail it. There was no online application, <laughs> you know, um, and, and you couldn't even request something with a click. You had to like write to them or send a postcard of interest. It was crazy. So yeah, it's changed so much. And that's why I think two parents need to kind of remove themselves a little bit and really let, whether it's a private admissions counselor or the, the and the school, both work with both, but let them do their job mm-hmm. because they know what they're doing. Yes, definitely. Um, I often think of it as like, you know, I don't go into, um, meet with my doctor and say, I know what I'm doing right now. Let me tell you what's going on. Um, I sort of trust your expertise. Um, But with college admissions, I think because it's something everybody goes through, um, there's sort of this, oh, I've been through it. I have this expertise. And it's like, just trust um, in those individuals that you've 
consulted for this process, whether it's a school counselor or a private counselor, um, to really guide your student and what insights they're sharing. Yeah, and they they end up someplace that's right. And if they don't, they can transfer. Exactly. You know, they figure it out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they do figure it out. Um, well, thank you so much. And I really hope you'll come back on and talk more in depth maybe about essays and visits um, and then even kind of how to decide. What if you get all eight offers and, you know, they're all in your price range. How do you choose then? So we'll have you back to talk. And even I'll ask my listeners now as we wrap up to um, send in questions. Maybe they can message me or email me the emails um, on my podcast too, where they could send some questions for future episodes. But Danielle, if people want to follow you, where can they find you? Um, so pretty simple. Um, I have the handle Danielle P. Leach on Instagram. My email is just daniellepleach at gmail.com. And then I do have a website that's currently under construction, um, but hopefully it's up and running. And that is just daniellepleach.com. Um, okay. So happy for Instagram DMs, which I know is how we connected. Um, mm-hmm. I do a lot of DMing on Instagram, and it's actually where I meet a lot of people. Um, and then email or website. Yeah, and and even what I found with this podcast is, you know, you think like people listen to it the Thursday it comes up, but people will listen to it a year later or six mm-hmm. months later, and so we'll put your website address in the show notes. And so even if it's not up when you first listen to this, check back because I'm sure it'll have great information. And I'm sure, I hope you'll come back and talk more. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode of Connecting with Dr. Kim Swales. Hopefully, you've heard something that will help you as you continue to navigate the connections in your everyday relationships. If you'd like to connect with me on Instagram, you can follow me at Dr. Kim Swales or check out my website, www.kimswales.com. I'd also love if you would click subscribe and leave a positive review or a five-star rating for the podcast, as well as share it with your friends and family. The material in this podcast is for entertainment purposes only. If you are in need of medical or psychological counsel, please seek a licensed professional in your area. This episode was edited and produced by Sonia Kerrigan.